Welcome to Mysteries to Die For and this toe tag. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is normally a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of mur- murder, mystery, and mayhem. Today is a bonus episode that we call a toe tag. It's the first chapter from a fresh release in a mystery, crime, and thriller genre. Today's featured release is What Meets the Eye by Alex Kenna. All right, today you are going to get both the prologue and the first chapter. So let's jump right in. Six months ago, Margot. All week long, I felt a fire in my belly. The spirit passed through me like lightning, brushes flying from wet canvas to wet canvas. Cooking was a waste of time, so I ordered takeout and drank whiskey. Sleep was out of the question. I cranked up the music and worked to the beat. Sometimes I sang long, dripping globs of color onto the floor. The paint went on smooth like buttery icing. After a while, my brushes stayed in their jar and my fingers danced along the canvas. No bristles between skin and cloth. Soon the images came alive. I'd been studying the Spanish greats, Velasquez, Goya, Zerberan, Ribera. For them, it was all about bottomless darks with hints of warm, mellow light. I took a break from bold colors, indulging in white and yellow ochre with burnt sienna. The effect was sinister, but mesmerizing. My hands pulled ghostly figures one after the other out of the dark void. I finally passed out around dawn on Thursday, just as the birds were starting to chatter. When I woke, it was afternoon and the magic was gone. My mouth tasted of bile and I felt like someone had scooped out my eyeballs and punched me in the sockets. I wandered into the bathroom and looked at myself in the mirror. One of Goya's haggard witches stared back at me. My skin was the color of rice pudding. There were purple half moons under my eyes and a cadmium streak in my hair. I picked up my nail beds, which were filled with Prussian blue. The thought of cleaning them was exhausting, so I didn't bother. My stomach let out a growl. I stumbled over to the fridge. Nothing inside was fresh enough to tempt me. I turned to a soggy takeout container on the kitchen table. The wax cardboard had partially melted, and a puddle of sauce oozed onto the table. A dead fruit fly was trapped in the congealed orange liquid, like a mosquito in amber. I pulled the half-eaten egg roll off the last night's dinner plate and popped it in my mouth. At least it was crispy. After lunch, breakfast, dinner, I had an edible and downed a pot of coffee. I tried to get back to work, but the electricity was gone. The images that had been so alive last night now looked dull and mannered. A self-portrait smirked at me. I'd given myself a pouty red mouth like an Instagram twat and artificially Jolly Rancher green eyes. It was pathetic. The last desperate cry of a lonely train wreck nearing 40. I felt worthless. I should go jump off a bridge or wander onto the freeway. I lay on the couch for what must have been hours, been-watching some show about British aristocrats and their servants. Thank God I wasn't born in the 19th century England. You can't be a British lady if you're a mouthy alcoholic who screws half the landed gentry. I would have done worse as a servant. I can barely fry an egg, and half the time I'm too paralyzed by my own shape to get out of bed. 
might have ended up a consumptive whore blowing sailors for my supper in a London tenement. The curtains were drawn, and eventually light stopped leaking in from the window edges. I usually do better when the sun goes down. But nightfall didn't bring me my second wind. It made me feel worse. I poured myself another drink and lit a cigarette. My cell kept blowing up with a number I didn't recognize. I'd had this phone for six months and never transferred my contacts over from the last one. Now my caller ID served as a kind of a litmus test. If someone hadn't reached out in half a year, they weren't worth my time. I let it go to voicemail and turned back to the aristocrats. The only decent one was dead now. The show was making me tired. There was a knock on my door. Probably the neighbor coming to tell me that her baby couldn't sleep because I was making use of my electronics. I ignored it. I took a swig of whiskey and lit another cigarette. Then whoever it was started pounding. Margot, open up, said a loud tenor. The voice was familiar, but I couldn't place it. His tone had an edge of desperation. Could it be that cop from last week? A wave of dread fl flowed through me. My hand started shaking and a, and a clump of ash fell to the couch. If I kept very still, may maybe he'd think I wasn't home and he'd go away. No, the TV was too loud. He knew I was here. I tiptoed over to the keyhole and I gasped. My drink flew from my hand and shattered, coating the floor in alcohol and shards of glass. Chapter 1. Present Day. Kate. Seven letters down, a heavenly body. Jupiter. That's an easy one. It even has a double meaning, a planet and a Roman god. Crosswords try to be cute like that. It's one of the many discoveries I've made since the divorce. You pick up a lot when you have long stretches of alone time. Give me another six months and I'll have more hobbies than a Jane Austen heroine. The appointment alarm on my phone buzzed with a 15-minute warning. I looked down at the small screen, a new client meeting with some guy named Starling. The name sounded familiar, but that was about it. In moments like this, I wish I could afford a secretary. I grabbed the three half-filled legal pads at the end of my desk and started flipping through the pages of my barely legible scribble. I make up for my lack of organization by being a pack rat. My drawers are filled with half-used notebooks with tidbits from different investigations. When a case gets complicated, I rip out the scrawl and stick it in a separate folder with the client's name written in Sharpie. It's not exactly the Dewey Decimal System, but after 36 years of flaming ADHD, it's the best I've come up with. And frankly, I'm competent despite my shortcomings. I'm a better-than-average PI, and in another life, I was a damn good detective. The relevant note was buried in the third legal pad, below doodles of a sad-looking older man and a girl in a beret hanging from a rope. I draw during client calls to help me focus. Milt Starling, artist daughter, killed self, but father thinks murder. Now our conversation was starting to come back to me. A loud knock broke the silence. I looked over at the wood and frosted glass door to my office and saw the outline of a stocky male figure. He was early. My hands grabbed for everything in sight, shoving things in drawers to clear the desk. I picked up a cheap red ukulele, another newfound hobby, and slid it under my desk. Normally I try to clean up before a client meeting, but today has slipped through the cracks. Hopefully it wouldn't cost me a job. The bills were piling up, and I wasn't going to give John more ammunition by missing a child support payment. 
I raced toward the shadowy figure on the balls of my feet, trying not to sound like I was running. As I pulled open the door, the man on the other side presented me with a pink, fleshy hand. His skin was warm and coated in a briny sweat. Nice to meet you, Mr. Starling, I said. Right this way. I gestured toward a clunky antique chair across from my desk. It's a ridiculous piece of furniture that I bought for $30 at an estate sale. When I saw it in a Glendale living room, sandwiched between floral lamps, it looked respectable. When I was unloading it from my car, the leather seat cushion flew up to reveal a ceramic basin. That's when I realized I'd purchased a vintage commode. Now prospective clients sit on a 19th century toilet and tell me their woes. I like to think it's symbolic. Milt Starling held onto each arm of the sturdy seat and lowered himself down with determination. He was not the youngest 60-something I've ever met. Then again, grief had probably taken his toll. I looked him over, trying to get a sense of his financial status. He wore a blue Hawaiian shirt with yellow pineapples tucked neatly into a pair of khakis. His feet were sensibly clad in white socks and sneakers. The clothes were newish, and what was left of his hair had been mowed to within a half centimeter of his pink scalp. This wasn't a rich man, but he didn't seem like he was struggling. He most likely wouldn't be one of my clients to skip town or to try to pay me with their dead mother's wedding ring. What can I do for you, Mr. Starling? I asked. He glanced over at the graveyard of half-finished Coke bottles on top of my file cabinet. I felt my cheeks turn hot and mumbled an excuse about Wednesday being recycling day. Milt cleared his throat and brought his eyes around to mine. His breathing was heavy and audible, almost like he was day snoring. I, uh, I assume you've read the articles? Nope, I'd read nothing. Bupkis. All I had for preparation was my one-line note and my nasty little doodle. I want to hear in your words, I said. Tell me about your daughter and what brought you in today. I really needed to get my act together. This guy was here about his dead child and I'm winging it like a lazy amateur. He coughed, nodded. The police think she killed herself. I keep telling them Margot wouldn't do that, especially in that horrible way, but they won't listen. What do you think happened to her? I asked. Milt looked at me with a touch of impatience. I told you, someone killed her. They found her hanging from a chain in her bedroom. I keep telling the police she wasn't suicidal. They didn't even find a note. That didn't mean much. Most suicide victims are too distraught to remember a goodbye letter. The timing doesn't make sense, he continued. She was selected for a big exhibit in Italy. So why would she kill herself now? He sounded exasperated, like he'd made this pitch several times before. I had a feeling my door wasn't the first one he'd knocked on. Hanging is not a very feminine way to kill yourself, I offered. Women usually try to look pretty for whoever finds them. Milt nodded. Exactly. Margot liked to look nice. She cared about clothes, that kind of thing. She was a beautiful girl. With effort, he adjusted his weight onto one haunch and straightened the opposite leg to loosen the fabric around his pocket. This was about the time in the interview when a client shows me a picture of their loved one and I supply a generic, your husband was so handsome, or what a great smile, or she looks happy. He flipped open his wallet and pulled out a photo of a stunning young woman. Black hair, big light eyes, delicate features. She wore an amethyst-colored dress and a matching necklace. Wow, Mr. Starling, she looks like a movie star, I said truthfully. 
She didn't seem like the type of woman who would hang herself. Swallow pills, maybe, but only after doing her hair and makeup. Then again, I knew nothing about Margot, and stereotyping was a great way to wreck an investigation before it got started. Milt nodded again. She was beautiful and talented. None of the other artists could paint like her. Is there anybody you can think of, I asked, who might have wanted her dead? He shook his head. I've gone over it in my mind every day for months. I can't think of anyone. Did she have a boyfriend, I asked. Milk grimaced. She didn't talk much about her love life. I noticed a St. Christopher pendant around his neck, maybe the one like my grandfather used to wear. Maybe the Starlings hadn't approved of their daughter's bohemian lifestyle. He went on. There were a lot of boyfriends, a serious one in art school. She was seeing her dealer for a while, but I think he was using her to be honest, slimy little parasite. Well, this was interesting. If Margot had a drug habit, she could have been involved with some very unsavory characters. Her dealer, I asked? Did she... I must have made a face because he cut me off quickly. No, not like that. Her art dealer. He sold paintings, not drugs. Milt paused for a moment and stared at his hands. You know, Margot's mother followed her on the gossip websites. She was always pictured with some businessman or useless party boy. One of them had bleached hair and wore eyeliner. He let out a bitter chuckle. Did anyone have a grudge against her, I asked. He shook his head. Even an argument that seemed minor at the time could turn out to be relevant, I said. Not that I know of, said Milt. But we weren't that close anymore. I saw Margot at holidays, and sometimes she called me to chat. When she was younger, we talked about everything. But when she went the art route, she kept it superficial. I nodded and scribbled on my notepad. He wasn't giving me a lot to work with. Surely there was some ex or former business partner with whom she had shared bad blood. Was Margot unhappy? I asked. Milt shrugged. She always sounded cheerful when we talked, but I know that world took a toll on her. They expected her to be this free spirit, and she put on a show for people. It must have been tiring after a while. He hadn't really answered my question, and I had a feeling he was holding something back. Did you get the sense that she was depressed? Margot was bipolar, said Milt. He spoke those words in a disassociated monotone of a long-suffering parent. I'd heard the voice a thousand times when I worked family violence. It's not Billy's fault, officer. He's a sweet boy when he takes his clozapine. Do you know if she was on medication? If Margot went off her meds, it could explain why she decided to end things. Milt shook his head again. She tried, but it flattened her out. Margot said it took away her creativity and her painting got, well, muddy was the word she used. She just dealt with it when she got dark. She never tried to kill herself. She wouldn't do that. I had an uneasy feeling. This would be the third case I've taken from a grieving parent convinced that their child wasn't the suicide kind. Each time I confirmed that the victim had taken his own life. Afterward, the clients called me back, calling me a hack and left nasty Yelp reviews. This case would probably be more of the same. Margot was a troubled woman who got dark and refused to take meds. Plus, it sounded like her death was heavily publicized. The LAPD takes media cases very seriously. They would have explored every lead. 
Reopening the inquiry would just prolong Starling's pain without bringing them any closure. Mr. Starling, I need to be honest with you, I said. He winced. I could tell he wasn't the... I could tell this wasn't the first time he was given this speech. I've words, worked suspected suicide cases before, and every time I've confirmed, the police got it right. I'm hesitant to take your money when, in all likelihood, I'd just be duplicating their work and wasting your time. Milt let out an exasperated sigh. You're the fourth private investigator I've talked to. Everyone says the same thing. He glanced again at the Coke bottle assemblage on my file cabinet. I get it. I'm used to being the fourth choice. Look, he said, money's no issue. My daughter left us a fortune, but we need to know what happened to her. My wife is still in Ohio. I've spent the last six months away from home trying to get answers. If you won't help me, I'll go through the phone book until I find someone who will. If that doesn't work, I'll start knocking on doors myself. He was breathing heavy now. His barrel chest heaved up and down, and his eyes shone. I can't stand it when older men cry. Men like my dad, from a generation where stuffing your emotion was the name of the game. I'll do just about anything to keep it from happening. Okay, I said, regretting it the instant the words left my lips. I'll do what I can to help you. Give me everything you have on your daughter. All right. That is the prologue and the first chapter of What Meets the Eye by Alex Kenna. So let's learn a little bit about Alex. Alex is a lawyer, wife, and amateur painter. Before law school, Alex studied painting and art history. She also worked as a freelance culture writer and sold art in a gallery. Originally from Washington, D.C., Alex lives in Los Angeles with her husband, son, and a giant schnauzer named Zelda. It's an awesome name. When she's not writing, Alex can be found exploring Southern California, toddler reigning, that is a full-time job, and playing string instruments badly. That's the same way I play guitar. What Meets the Eye was released December 2022 from Crooked Lane Books and is available from Amazon and other online retailers. All right, so here is my review. So What Meets the Eye is a private eye investigator mystery. P.I. Kate Miles takes a job that everyone else has turned down, the investigation of an avant-garde artist's death. Um, LAPD, Kate's former employer, determined it was a suicide, but of course the father doesn't buy it for no fact-based reason. Kate has taken this job before, and three out of three times the, cop, the cops were right. But this time? This time just may be different. Of course it is, or there wouldn't be a really awesome book. Bottom line... What meets the eye is for you if you like your art edgy, your stakes high, and your dirty deeds done anything but cheat. So what are the strengths of this story? The setting is one of the stars. Um, this mystery is embedded in the LA art scene and told in a way that can only be done by someone with Kenna's unique background. I mean, this story goes beyond the, you know, the, the death of a star artist and makes it one of the most interesting mysteries I've read in a long time. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, we've all read mysteries where an artist dies or um, a piece of art is central to that story, but this is actually woven into the art scene. And I really do think that only somebody like Kenna, who obviously has worked 
in art who is an artist herself could have woven it like that. Um, the plot itself is equally interesting, uh, again, likely because it is interwoven with the scene. Uh, this isn't a mystery that can be dropped in anywhere. You know, so often when we read mysteries, the, the scene is almost incidental. Like you could take the story and you could, whether it's in Cleveland, Ohio, or Kansas City, or London, England, or it just doesn't matter, you can transport them. This one cannot. This has to happen where it happens. Perhaps you can move her from one art scene to another, but you cannot move it to a ranch in the West or a construction site or, or anything else. This is really heavily woven, and that is definitely one of the strengths of this story. Where the story fell short. Well, you got a little taste of it here. Um, the storytelling style, 80% is from Kate Miles' point of view in modern time but the remainder of the style is from other characters or from pastimes, just like the prologue was from Margot's point of view six months ago. So on the prose side of the style, the reader gets the just-in-time information that you need to understand what's going on, often before uh, Kate herself, or sometimes about Kate. On the con side, it can pull the reader out of the story and it can introduce some confusion. For some readers, this won't be a big deal. You won't notice it at all. For others, it'll be bothersome. For my own experience, when I read stories, I tend to hear them. You know, I'm one of those people who tends to get a voice in my head of each character. And so I, had a, I did have trouble that I heard everybody with Kate Miles' voice, whether the narrator was supposed to be male or female, whether it was eight years ago or whether it was now. Um, all in all, I was able to overcome it and really enjoyed this book. The story is very interesting. The, the plot is worth it. But after I finished reading the book, I did go on to Amazon, and it seemed like those who did have trouble with this book, that was, that was the number one cause of issue. So I would suggest giving it a shot. It's really worth it. Um, the downside is minor. The upside is huge. So that is What Meets the Eye by Alex Kenna. Read it, review it, help others find it. This is a great and unique mystery. And bonus, this is Alex Kenna's debut story, so help others find her. Thank you so much for joining this toe tag, and uh, join us back next week for our full Mysteries to Die For episode. Thank you. Bye-bye.